Now, he didn't uh, select a seminary graduate. He was a hard-working blue-collar guy, a fisherman, a rugged guy, plain-spoken, kind of earthy. But he had a boldness uh, that Jesus was impressed with. And so it was he anointed him to preach the gospel. Thousands were converted. Now, you would have thought that Simon Peter would have been very loyal and faithful, and he declared that. He said, Lord, if anybody forsakes you, it's not going to be me. If everybody else goes, I will remain faithful. You know the story. Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny three times that you even know me. Went away discouraged and frustrated. But yes, the prophecy of Jesus was reality once, twice, Three times at the accusation of a young teenage girl. You're one of the Galileans. You were with him. I don't know who you're talking about. And even cursed with an oath. Jesus said, Peter, Satan wants to destroy your faith. But I'm praying for you that your faith not, may not fail. And when you've been converted and gone through this trial, I want you to strengthen your brothers. If you have God's word tonight, I invite you to turn with me to the second letter of Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. After the resurrection, they had a miraculous catch of fish on Lake Galilee. And after the catch of fish, they ate a breakfast. And after breakfast, Jesus and Peter were walking along the shoreline. And Jesus asked Peter questions. First of all, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. A second time, Peter, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And a third time, Peter, do you love me? Each time Jesus gave him instructions, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. And so it is in this portion of Scripture, Peter doing exactly what Jesus told him to do, and that is to feed you and me with the word that is in fire to the Holy Spirit, if you'd like to stand in reverence to the reading of the Word, I invite you to join me. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. I'll be reading out of the New International Version of the Scripture. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you might participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Thank you. You may be seated. May God bless and anoint the reading of his word. Let's ask his anointing on the preaching of the message. Father in heaven, what a great privilege it is for us to be with our extended family at Sharon Camp. We thank you, Father, for the very opening song sung by our young men and women, and what a blessing that was to our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for the, the hymns and the choruses that have been sung tonight, and we've enjoyed every one of them. And then, Father, we thank you for the wonderful special music that has touched our hearts and focused our attention on you, and we truly desire to know you better than we've ever known you. Father, now I ask for the anointing of the Holy Ghost that as we preach, men and women will not hear just another sermon 
or a visiting preacher's voice. But Father, we long to hear your still small voice speaking to our inner being. Father, you have truth for us tonight. I ask in Jesus' name that you'd bind the efforts of the enemy. Position your angels around the perimeter of the old tabernacle tonight. Make it easy for us to hear your voice and see the light. And may we all have courage and determination to walk in all of that light. Father, should there be anyone here tonight in our fellowship that is bearing a burden of sin, may they know they don't have to go home with that burden. There is deliverance and forgiveness and separation from that sin tonight offered by your amazing grace. Father, there could be those that have been genuinely born again, but they're struggling with that, that war going on in their soul. you pulling them one way and the world pulling them back. They need to be sanctified and filled with your Spirit. As we sang that chorus tonight, that's what holiness is all about, Christ in us as the Lord of all. And Father, for all that you do, we'll give you praise, for you are the only one worthy of our praise. In Jesus' powerful and mighty name, amen. God has called us to uh, be holy and godly in a very ungodly age. We find that in many churches today, the standards are being lowered Arguments are being placed that maybe sin isn't all that bad after all. But for those of us that embrace this word, we realize what the Scripture says, all Scripture is breathed by God. It is a reliable text. And so it is very clearly in the day and age in which we live today, still important to live a godly and a holy life. From the very beginning, the enemy has countered and said it's literally impossible. Nobody can do that. God is holy and he alone. But why would God say be holy as I the Lord your God am holy if he wouldn't provide the means and the method and the promises whereby we might do what he's called us to do? One day Jesus said to his congregation, not everyone that calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom, only those that do the will of my Father. And as we read the Word of God, it is God's will that we should be holy. We should be godly individuals. And what Peter is saying, God has obligated himself. He's given us everything we need to be godly and holy people. How many of you have the devotional book, My Utmost for Its Highest, by Oswald Chambers? Well, there's quite a representation here. Isn't that a beautiful volume? How many of you got it the first time you read it? Nobody. I mean, uh, you have to read that about ten times, and every time you do, you find something brand new. Why didn't I see that before? And what a godly man, and what a wonderful impact he's made on the church. Oswald Chambers said this, We must never measure our capacity for spiritual things by education or intellect. We must always measure our capacity for spiritual things by the promises of God. Now, was he putting down education? No. Oswald Chambers was an educator. He believed in developing the mind. He was very gifted as an academic. But he said there are limitations to man's ability to understand some of the profound things of God's Word. And that's why if you rely on your own understanding, you're going to say, that's impossible. I can't live a holy life. I can't be sanctified through and through. And that's been an argument for a long, long time. If you base 
your capacity on the promises of God, then what does the Bible teach? He's able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we could even ask or imagine according to his great power that works within us. And God just cannot lie. A couple of years ago, you had uh, Mark Murphy as your song evangelist, I believe. Um, a year ago, Mark found out he had stage four colon cancer. The prognosis was, you've got a short time to live. The word went out, people were praying literally around the world. Brother Arner came from Mount of Praise camp meeting last week. Mark was anointed during that camp meeting last year, and still the operation was planned. I'm the revivalism coordinator, and whenever I'm able, and just so happened that uh, Brother Lane Lohman was available too, and we were both down there at the hospital, about a nine-hour surgery, at least that was the plan. After about three or four hours, we got the note from the nurse that the doctor wanted to talk to the family, and of course we were pretty concerned about the possibilities there. As we gathered in the room, the doctor shook his head and said, I, I don't know why I'm in there. <laughs> there is no cancer that we can find, and we've noted, and what we thought was is no longer there. You see, medical science has had to develop a new vocabulary. Do you know what they call that? That is what is called a spontaneous Remission. That sounds good, doesn't it? And so those of us that are dumb enough said, well, what made it spontaneous? Well, we don't know. Well, why don't you know? Well, you're the... Well, you see, sometimes the promises of God and the moving of God and the ministry of God's hand kind of befuddles the mind. We don't always understand it. And so Oswald Chambers says, make sure you stand on the promises of God and don't listen to the criticism of the coming generations. You see, Paul says, Timothy, there's coming a day that men will no longer believe the Word of God. They're going to reject sound doctrine and the Word of God, but you hang on, you preach the Word, and you believe that God inspired this Word for us. And so if God has made it His command for us to live a godly life, Peter comes along and says, you can trust God. He'll give you everything you need to live a godly and a holy life. Number one, God has given his, his amazing love. For God so loved the world. Statement. Wonderful. It's still true. God so loved the world. Muhammad Ali passed away a couple weeks ago. He was a resident, at least a part-time resident, uh, in the Berrien Springs, Michigan. And I remember after 9-11, uh, we asked uh, Muhammad uh, to explain what Islam was all about. And I think he dropped the ball. Uh, I remember him looking in the eye of the cabinet and saying, well, you know, all religions are basically the same. If you do more good stuff than you do bad stuff, why, we're, we're all going to the same place after all. Now, that's, that's uh, now, you know, that's politically acceptable and a lot of people choosing to go that way. 
I remember after 9-11, I was a bit confused as to what Islam was all about. And I, I tried to catch up. And I remember one program, uh, Larry King had a, an imam from Islam and had a very uh, wonderful and tender-hearted pastor, a Protestant preacher. Of course, they gave preference to the imam, and he began to explain what his faith was all about and how he must love Allah and how he's obligated to demonstrate to Allah how much he loves him, even to the point of destroying and killing his enemies. And should anyone desecrate the sacred book, why, they deserve death as well, and how that the followers of, of uh, Muhammad are, are willing to die. For, and he did a pretty good job explaining what we've been observing, you know. And after he was done, Larry King asked the preacher, would you like to address some of those issues? I don't know if you talk to your television or not, but I spend a lot of time talking to mine. <laughs> and basically I was saying, preacher, let him have it. I mean, you got the word, you just kind of nail him. But he didn't. In a very sweet and tender-hearted way, he asked him a simple question. He said, sir, do you know that your God loves you? It stunned the imam. He was ready for a fight. But a simple question, do you know your God loves you? And his reaction told me that just maybe he had never thought about that. And, and that's his response. He said, well, that's not the issue. I am obligated to demonstrate to my God how much I am devoted to him, how much I love him, even to die for him and destroy his enemies. And the kind preacher said, well, sir, that is the difference between your God and my God. You see, my God loves everyone in this old world. And my God doesn't want to destroy anyone. My God wants people to love him in return, and he has promised to give them joy and peace and everlasting life. My God was willing to die for me. Now, how do you follow that? Well, if you're on TV, you go to commercial. Get him out of there. He's in trouble. Wow. <laughs> when they came back, he still had some time. <laughs> the preacher said, some people misunderstand the God of the Old Testament. If you truly study the Old Testament, God says, I take pleasure in the death of no one says the Sovereign Lord. Turn and repent of your sin, so it will not be your ruin. And now we have the New Testament, and it demonstrates to us how much God the Father loves this old world. For God so loved the world that what He gave, He gave His only begotten Son to pay the penalty, to pay the price for everyone's sin, that we would not have to die in our sins, but we could be redeemed and forgiven and adopted into the family of God. I have two daughters. I uh, was blessed last week with a brand-new granddaughter. And uh, got to, I was on the way 
here, you know, on Interstate 80 last night, I, I pulled off, and man, did we have a time of rejoicing holding that precious little baby. And uh, two daughters. I can't imagine loving a son any more than I love my daughters. I would do anything for my daughters. But you know, there's some folks in our world, they don't have much respect or regard for the female gender. There's some countries that allow them to be thrown away, India and some other countries. But in many other areas, the most prized possession of any family would be a son, and especially the firstborn son. And so when the pastor said to the imam, my God was willing to give his only son to die for the sins of the entire world, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so when Peter tells us, God has given us everything we need, you start there, and boy, it is a mind-blowing thing. God has given us his love, everybody on the planet. Now, I know there's some folks within the Christian world that said, well, now God's got these people over there, they're going to be saved, the others are they're predestined to be damned. I, I can't find that in the Scriptures. I find God loves the whole world. I find the Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come. And so don't get off the track there. God loves the world. He loves those that don't love him. The Bible says even when we were sinners and rebellious and no regard for God, in spite of that, he loved us. And he reached out to us. And he drew us. God's given us his love. Demonstration of that love, he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus walked among us. He performed miracles of healing, walked on water, broke all the laws of physics and rules of chemistry and all of this stuff. And then it came time for him to go to that old rugged cross and give his life's blood that we might have salvation. And so he died on the cross. But before he did, he says, fellas, bittersweet moment here. <laughs> Looking forward to going back to the Father. But I'm praying for you that you'll get another comforter. When I get, I, I'll make sure you, you, you receive this other comforter. He's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will dwell within you 24-7. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so it was after the Master ascended to heaven, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, He'll reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. He will draw all men to me. He'll teach you all things. He'll pick up where I left off. He'll guide you into all truth. You just keep in step with the Spirit. What does the Spirit do? <laughs> it's amazing to me that the God of the universe would seek me. God doesn't wait for men and women to say, hey, I think I need a Savior. I'll, I'll look for one. He literally reaches out. John Wesley called that the preventing or prevenient grace of God. And that's why when we sing amazing grace, it's not only God's saving grace and sanctifying grace, it's His convicting and drawing grace. He literally reached out to us. No one comes to the Father except the Spirit draws that individual. Isn't it amazing all that God has given to us? I believe Peter, from time to time, just was beside himself. God's given us everything we need. He gave us his love. He gave us his son. He's given us the Holy Spirit. 
And what does the Spirit do? Jesus knew the Spirit will bring men to a place of repentance because they need to be born from above. They need to be born again. How many of you know the doxology? Let's sing it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Did you know there's another doxology in the Bible? And Peter got to write it. And here's his doxology. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us the new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. (laughs) Well, if that's not something to praise the Lord for, I don't know what is. He says, Praise the Lord! He's given us the new birth. (laughs) I'm afraid sometimes we don't realize how important that is. You see, Muhammad Ali said, if you do enough good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff, we're all going to heaven. (laughs) No, you can do a lot of good stuff and still go to hell. You must be born again. You read it in the scripture. Highly educated man, Nicodemus comes. He's impressed with the ministry of Jesus. Walking on the water, water into wine, healing all manner, raising people from the dead. I know you've come from God. You must be born again. How can this be? Again, the scientific mind. How can this be? I don't see it. Nicodemus, being born again is a little bit like the wind. You can't tell where the wind comes from or the wind is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There's a mystery involved there. And if you'll stand on the promises of God, and what are the promises of God? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And at that moment, when we're willing to repent of our sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a miracle that takes place. We were once dead in our trespasses and sin, but now by the promises of God, we come alive spiritually. (laughs) That's a big deal. Now, the reason I say that, we have a lot of mega churches today, and I'm not putting them down. But some of the mega church pastors have come to the conclusion that maybe. Maybe we emphasize the wrong stuff. I come from Chicago. Bill Hybel is a great, great pastor. One of the great megachurches of the world, I suppose. A couple of years ago, Christianity Today wrote an article. He said, now that I've been the pastor of this great megachurch for all these years, I've noticed something that's troubling. We have state-of-the-art music and drama and facilities, and programs, and recovery. Tremendous crowds. But he said, I'm afraid I haven't noticed much of a change in the lifestyle of my people. He said, by God's grace, we're going to get back to the basics of telling people 
they're lost and they're sinners and they need a savior and they need to be born again. Now, if you got that right, then all the other stuff will fall into proper perspective. And so God has given us his love, gave us his son, given us his spirit, given us the new birth. And we, I believe, sang about it a few moments ago in a chorus. Wouldn't it be wonderful if after you got saved, the devil say, okay, let's go somewhere else. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. But remember what Jesus said, Peter, Satan wants to destroy your faith. But I am afraid for you that your faith may not fail. Now, I know, and I'm not going to debate the whole issue tonight, but there are a lot of our brothers and sisters that say, once you're saved, you can never lose your salvation, if you, even if you go back and sin in word, thought, and deed every day. Well, if that's really true, why would Jesus warn Peter, Satan wants to destroy your faith, the faith that you have now? He wants to destroy it, and he's going to do everything he can to get you back. You see, that's the problem. Even after we're saved, Satan is going to continually set the temptations to go back. Some people make the mistake, if I were really a Christian, I wouldn't be tempted. Wrong. If you're really a Christian, you're going to be. I mean, that's just the way it works. He's upset. He wants you back. But the good news is this. God has given us something else. He's given us another promise. God says, I, God, will not allow him, the devil, to tempt you beyond the point that you're able to stand. And when he is tempting you, I will be there, <laughs> and I'll show you the way out. See, temptation is not sin. It's only when we give in to it. But the good news is, God has limited the power of the enemy to tempt us, and he's also given us his protection, his own presence. He says, when he's tempting you, I'll be there to show you a way out. That's why Peter could say, God's given us everything we need. That's why we Nazarenes and holiness folks believe that we don't have to be slaves to sin. We can break that bondage and by the grace of God, we choose to go with him. He'll help us make it and we're going to be the way he wants us to be. I love all kinds of music. I'm especially tuned into some of the Southern Gospels songs and and uh, i grew up on the south side of chicago and uh, that's not really southern gospel territory <laughs> but uh, once in a while the blackwood brothers and some of the southern quartets would come and have all night sings and that was fun uh, we go down to medina temple in chicago and they'd sing till one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning uh, it was used always on a saturday night our pastors hated them because we go there and then we sleep through the sermon on sunday but it was an exciting thing to go to the all night gospel sing one summer, I was working for my dad, and we had to work on Saturday, but the church people had gotten in the bus, and they went to the uh, sing, and I, I wanted to catch up with them, so I drove on down, and, well, we had a great time. They sang to about 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. Finally let out, and I had to drive a half an hour back home. And I was a little hungry. Now, most of you have never heard of a place called Maxwell Street, but there was a street in Maxwell, or in Chicago, Illinois, that was open 24-7, and they, they had great uh, brats and hot dogs, and uh, I'm, I'm partial to Chicago-style hot dogs, and so I was a little hungry, and I, I got three or four of the hot dogs and some onion rings and, and uh, fries, you know, and a root beer and a milkshake, just enough to get home, and uh, I, I got it, you know, down, and, and uh, then I, I, I pulled out in the, in the street to go home, 
And I wasn't paying attention. And when I looked up, the cars that were parked were on both sides and they were going the other way. And uh, I saw I'm uh, going the wrong way on a one way. Two o'clock in the morning, not a lot of traffic. So I thought, well, I'll whip down the alley and I'll go around the block, get back where I'm supposed to go. But it was one of those alleys that didn't go through and it was kind of a left, right, or turn right. And I, my sense of direction said go that way, but I couldn't one way. So I had to turn that way. And then another one of those deals, another one way. And after four or five turns, I was just flat lost. And then I looked up in the rearview mirror and I saw headlights following me. I'd speed up and they'd speed up. I'd slow down, they'd slow down. I'd turn right, they'd... And then I saw the reflection of the lamppost. It's a gumball on top. It's a Chicago cop. And when he saw that I saw him, he got on the speaker and the spotlight and pulled over. And I pulled over. Big old cop came up to the door, the car. I was kind of scared to death and frozen, didn't know what to do, and he kept doing this. A lot of people have no idea what that means. <laughs> Kids, there was a day when we had to roll our own windows down. No buttons. And so dawned on me, oh, he wants me to roll the window down, roll the window down. License, proof of insurance. And I fumbled around and finally got that. What in the world are you doing down here? Well, I went to an all-night sing, and then I went over to Joe's, and I had some refreshments, and I guess I got turned around, and I guess I'm lost. He said, you sure are. And you're lost in one of the most dangerous parts of the city. Now, this is a long, long time ago. There were seven people killed and 30 people wounded this past weekend. There are more people shot in Chicago than there are in Afghanistan and Iraq today. Those who are studying medicine for the Navy and the Army are doing their studies at Cook County Hospital because there are more shooting incidents there than there are on the battlefield. Pretty rough area. He said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to get you turned around, I want you to follow me, and I'm going to get you back out on the Stevenson Expressway, I know that's where you need to go, and I want you to go straight home. And I never want to find you down here again. The reason I tell you this is those of us that are part of God's family, we have a loving Heavenly Father that never sleeps, never slumbers, and what the Bible says is He's watching us. And He's not watching to see if we mess up. He's watching because He loves us. And how many parents in this sanctuary tonight, you've watched your kids, you don't want them to get hurt. And you're going to do everything you can to help them avoid those things. That's what he's saying. We have a loving Heavenly Father. He's limited the power of the enemy. And when we are tempted, if we should make a wrong turn, if we end up in a bad alley in a situation, if we just get to our knees and we say, oh God, help me. He said, I'll be there and I'll show you the way out. I'll get you home. Isn't that wonderful? God's given us everything we need. He's given us His love, His Son, His Spirit, the new birth, His protection, and His prayers. Peter, I'm praying for you that your faith may not fail. Brian, I'm blessed as I see many of our contemporaries 
sensing the need for prayers. There, there's a fellow down in Texas at 10 o'clock on Monday mornings. You can call down there. People from all over the world are on a prayer chain there. People are coming back to that conclusion. Prayer really changes things. Amen? <laughs> sure does. You ask Mark Murphy about that, he'll tell you. You say, well, Jesus prayed for Peter. If you've never read the 17th chapter of John, go there before you sleep tonight. Jesus is praying. He's talking to the Father about you and me. Really? We're in the Bible? Well, sort of. <laughs> Jesus says, Father, I'm concerned about these you've given to me. I don't want to take them out of the world. I want, to, I want them to go in the world, but I want you to keep them from the evil of the world. Father, would you sanctify them through the truth? Your word is the truth. Would you cleanse their hearts from a desire to straddle the fence? Would you work that miracle of grace where they die to themselves and they surrender to your lordship and they're sanctified through and through so that they can be in the world but not of the world? Did you know Jesus prayed that that's what would happen? He not only prayed that we would get saved, <laughs> he prayed that we would be holy and be sanctified. Now, how did he pray for you and me? Jesus goes on to say, Father, I'm not just praying for James and John and Peter and Andrew. I'm praying for all of those that will believe in me through their word. And that's where you and I come in. They were faithful to preach this good news, this gospel. And everyone that has ever come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, Jesus himself prayed that they might be sanctified and kept from the evil of this world. The last thing. It's part of that prayer. Father, that they may be one, even as we are one. Father, I, in you, in you and me, I'm praying that they would be in us, that they would be one. And that's why Peter said at the concluding there that we might be partakers of the divine nature. No longer slaves to a sin nature, but to be filled with the fullness of God. <laughs> I have never been able to find a better deal in all of this world and that's why Peter said, folks, this is a faith as precious as ours, and we rejoice that you're part of the family. And remember this, God has always given us everything we need for godliness and life. Amen? My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. I'm going to ask.
ask Brian to come and our instrumentalist to play. But let's pray before we go any further tonight. Father, we thank you for the wonderful spirit that's in our midst tonight. It's you. <laughs> and Father, we thank you for the way you bless the music to our hearts and the scripture tonight. And we know that many of the choruses were just really scripture put to music. We thank you for the word that reminds us of all the promises that you have provided. And then, Father, we thank you for the blessed Holy Spirit who knows us better than we know ourselves tonight. And as we mentioned a moment ago, you have that unique ability to reach your arms of love about us and draw us to a place of prayer. Father, this is a great crowd for this opening, this Monday night service. And I ask in the name of Jesus, you do one of two things in these next moments. The Bible tells us that you can testify with our spirit whether everything's okay or not. And Father, for my brothers and sisters here tonight, everything's okay. Would you just witness to their spirit of that truth? Give them assurance that all is well. But Father, if there's somebody here tonight and they've got a heavy heart and they've got some things they really ought to pray about, they've got some serious needs and urgent needs, Father, would you send the same Holy Spirit to invite them to come around the altar for prayer and help them to know that you have the ability to exceeding abundantly above any problem, any need that we might have. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here tonight and you need to pray, you've got some things you need to talk over with the Lord, I want to invite you to come in around the altar. And to make it easier for us to move, let's all stand together. And as Brian leads us in this chorus and this music, you just respond to him. The altar is open. You mind him. speaks to us, that's, that's about the best you can get. <laughs> and if God's spoken to anybody else and you'd like to pray, we've got wonderful group here that people know how to pray, prayer warriors. We're going to sing it one more time. And if you're here tonight and maybe you have a loved one or a friend that might be in trouble, while they may not be physically here, God the Holy Spirit can go exactly where they are, wherever they may be tonight, and minister to them. And so for those of you that would like to have a closing prayer around the altar, Let's just move in together for a closing prayer. My chains are gone. 
Some of you may be on a tight time schedule. If you feel like you need to leave, just slip out quietly and reverently. But we're going to have a closing prayer around the altar. If you change your mind, you want to come around the altar, it's going to stay open. But let's just take time these uh, next few minutes to talk to the Lord about our needs. Heavenly Father, we come once again in the powerful and mighty name of Jesus, realizing that we call upon all the power that's available to us. We ask anything in your matchless name. And Father, we've not come tonight to bully you. We've not come to presume upon you. But Father, we've come because you made so many promises to us. We thank you, Lord, that you love the whole world. You love everyone in this tabernacle tonight. You love those who we're praying for that may not be here, and they need a Savior. And Father, we thank you for Jesus. Oh, how we love Jesus tonight, and we know that he loves us, and what a privilege it is to call him Savior and Lord and our older brother as well. And Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who has come tonight to minister to us through song and sermon and prayers and fellowship. Lord, you've been so good to us and we praise your wonderful name. Father in heaven, we thank you for the new birth. We know that uh, we can be saved in almost any kind of a situation. Doesn't have to be a camp meeting or an altar or a church. It can be behind the wheel of a car or sitting in a chair in our living room or anywhere. We respond to your call that we might be born from above and born again. And then, Lord, we thank you for your love for us, your protecting hand upon us. We thank you, Lord, that you've limited the power of the enemy and you've promised to be with us and show us where to go and how to live that we might be victorious day in and day out. Father, we thank you that you love us enough to pray for us and intercede. We learned many years ago that beautiful song, and he's ever interceding. We know the scripture teaches us that, that you're at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, and we praise you, Lord, for that kind of love and mercy and concern for us. And then, Father, we thank you for your sanctifying grace, that we don't have to be slaves to sin. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to always contend with that sinful nature but it can be crucified and we can be filled with your fullness and we can be a place where the Holy Spirit has complete control and reigns supreme. Father, we live in a very difficult world right now. We're living in a time right now where many are telling us the time is running out. And if ever there was a time to draw close to you, to make certain of our salvation and to be walking in all of the light, it most certainly is the day and age in which we live. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for these precious young men and women. We ask your richest blessings upon them. We know that you have the ability of being aware of the full potential of everyone in the old tabernacle tonight. And we're just believing that decisions and choices are going to be made in these services and classes and times together that will have an everlasting effect upon the direction of some lives. Father, Again, we pray for those of our loved ones and friends that are in trouble tonight. And we ask that wherever they are, your sweetness will somehow overwhelm them. Before they pillow their head in sleep tonight, they may find a place of surrender and obedience. Father, we thank you for those who still believe in old-fashioned 
camp meetings and are willing to turn on the lights and pick up the bills that we might continue to have times like this that we might sing your praise and study your word and be obedient to your voice. Now, Father, we know you can do it more in one touch of your grace than we can do with all of our sermons and all of our songs. And we pray that your touch would be upon each and every life from the youngest boy or girl to the oldest saint here tonight. And as we prepare to leave the tabernacle sometime this evening, we pray that as we go, we will go with that full assurance that it is well with our soul. We sang tonight, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. We pray, Lord, that that will be a reality more than words and melody. We thank you, Father, for the witness of the Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, we pray for our military men and women before we go tonight. We pray for wherever they're deployed around the world. And then we pray for their families. We know it's a very difficult thing to say goodbye to a spouse, a child, or whatever. And Lord, we would pray for our military families. And may the church move up and step forward and be part of that family that you read about in the Word. Father, for all that you do, we will forever give you the praise. For you are the only one worthy of that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Glory to God. <laughs>